just three verses from the beginning of the book. Galatians chapter 1 verses 3 to 5. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In 1938, a man by the name of Alfred Butts uh, presented a game that he had created and modified. He had originally come up with a game which he called Lexico, which was a a crossword game. Uh, But he developed it further and he called it by a new name of Scrabble. And at first, Scrabble was mildly interesting to a few people. Uh, One lady by the name of Harriet Reiter, who was a a buyer for a game company, thought, well, it's a nice little game. It'll sell well in a few bookstalls. Little did they know that by today it would have its own television program and and, uh, variations of the same game and it would be a blockbuster hit and people would be playing it on computers as well. Scrabble, of course, is a a family favourite and it's a family favourite of ours. I have to say, though, I do envy this man for his ability. This man's name is Ganesh Azirafathem which I think is how you pronounce it. He's he's Malaysian. And on the 7th of November, 2007, he played multiple Scrabble games uh, against 25 opponents at once. And he won 21 of those games. His... uh, his word power is absolutely amazing. In fact, the person who came up with the highest score in Scrabble, which was, I think I'm right in saying it was 1,409 or something like that. He was a gentleman from England. And it just amazes me, you know, how much you can do with a few letters on a board, how many points you can make. Well, spelling things out is what the Apostle Paul is doing here at the beginning of Galatians, although not with uh, letters in a game, but with doctrines in a letter. And in his book of of Galatians, which was written to the people who live in what we would call today Turkey, Asia Minor as it was then, uh, in the central area, which had once been inhabited uh, in the third century by the Gauls from France. They'd invaded it and settled there, and that's how it got its name. Asterix and all that lot. They all invaded uh, uh, that part of Turkey and so it became Galatians, which is where the Galatians came from. And uh, in that area, the Apostle Paul 
planted some churches on his first and his third missionary journeys. Uh, It seems that in the second missionary journey he was closed off from going there according to Acts chapter 16 where the Holy Spirit forbid him to go into that area but uh, he had planted some churches there. And then in AD 49, he wrote this letter because there was problems in those churches. And whereas Paul normally starts his letters with words of, uh, of praise and encouragement, he doesn't do that in this letter. He gets straight down to the issue. And uh, having stated his own authority for writing in verses 1 and 2 and who he's writing to, he then comes straight as if he hasn't even finished writing the envelope and got inside to the letter, he starts with the matter he's going to talk about. And what would be the customary greeting is where Paul spells out at the outset the gospel of Jesus Christ. He spells out what salvation is all about. And these three verses give us a beautiful summary of Paul's teaching in this letter. And I just want us to see this tonight because we're about salvation. We're about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the world needs. You know, sociology won't help the world. You know, all it'll do make the world a better place to go to hell from. Science won't save the world. In fact, science is the reason we've got these super weapons. <laughs> They're actually the things that are destroying mankind. Vance Havner said that uh, uh, mankind is like a, a chimpanzee with a blowtorch in a room full of dynamite. And that's what science has given us. The answer is salvation. It's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not saving people from the wreckage of civili- from civilization's wreckage. We're not saving civilization from wreckage, but people from the wreckage of civilization. And uh, we're pointing people to the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want us to have a look at this tonight. This is our message. This is what we're about. And I want to see just as clearly as we can tonight, salvation spelt out in these three verses. And Paul speaks here about our realities in verse 3, our redemption in verse 4, our rescue in verse 4. And our reason in verses 4 and 5. So with that in mind, please keep your Bible open. First of all then, he talks about our realities in verse 3. He says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now straight away at the beginning of the letter, Paul begins with two greetings which would have been well known in the ancient world. Grace was the Gentile greeting and peace, shalom, was the Hebrew greeting. And since this area had both Jews and Gentiles uh, living together, it was uh, a customary way to begin. But when Paul writes it, he writes it in a theological way. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes this into the message that brings out the realities of what Christianity is about at the beginning. And salvation is about grace and peace. And that was going right to the heart uh, of the message of his letter at Galatia. You see, one of the false teachings that had come into Galatia was uh, a false teaching called Judaism, uh, Judaizing. And what it was, it was uh, people who were trying to make the New Testament Christians live under the Old Testament law. Someone once put it like this, before Satan ever paganized the church, which is what he did through the Roman Catholic Church, he Judaized it first. 
That was his first attempt. To get us back under the law and to get us living as if we were uh, Jews, not born-again Christians. Well, Paul had that battle to fight. And so grace and peace as a greeting carries a theological message with it. Because these two things uh, are not isolated. They're not just slang words that we use to greet each other like the word hello. They are theological terms in the Christian life. So let's think about these things because these are the realities we're talking about as Christians. What about grace? First of all, he says grace to you. What is grace? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones summed it up like this. He said, there is no more wonderful word than grace. It means unmerited favor or kindness shown to one who is utterly undeserving. Here again, the purely gratuitous character of our salvation is brought out. It is something that results from the sole exercise of the spontaneous love of God. It is not merely a free gift, but a free gift to those who deserve the exact opposite. And it is given to us while we are without hope and without God in the world. That's a good summary of what grace is all about. And it's God's unmerited favour. And there's a a number of key doctrines that will help bring this out. uh, Verses that will help bring this out in our Bibles. First of all, Romans chapter 11. Uh, where Paul talks to the uh, church at Rome on this issue. In Romans 11 verse 6, when he's talking about salvation, he says this, And if by grace, that is if we're saved by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So you can't have works and grace together. It's either one or the other. Paul says we're saved by grace. And the clearest explanation of all, I think, is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Here Paul says, for by grace you have been saved. Through God's undeserved kindness you have been saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So when you and I get to heaven, we're not going to be getting to heaven and saying, well, you know, I got here by all those great sermons I preached and all those good things I did, you know, all those leaflets I delivered or whatever it was, all those good works, all those acts of kindness. When I get to heaven, I'm going to say, I am here by the grace of God alone. I don't deserve to be here. I am here by grace alone. God's undeserved grace. And uh, it is it is truly a, a wonderful thing that we are saved by grace. And this is the first reality Paul sends to them. What a message to begin the book of Galatians with. Grace to you. But he also says then, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. And peace is such an important thing in the Christian life. We have been at war with God. We've offended God. Adam fell in the Garden of Eden and broke the commandment, the one single commandment that God gave him to keep. And he broke it and he plunged the human race into rebellion against its creator. But through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, we now have peace with God. And Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 spells out that this was something that Christ purchased for us on the cross. He said, for, uh, and by him, by him, that's by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And we have peace with God now through the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that peace with God then flows into the peace of God in our lives. And we have a peace within ourselves as well. And this is Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing we have when uh, we're able to start a letter by saying grace to you and peace from the Father, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, he doesn't say from God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, as you might expect Paul to say in some of his letters. But he says God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, because the whole Trinity is involved in bringing this to us. And uh, he's, he's putting the co-equality there in the Godhead. It's an amazing thing. If you want to sum it up, let me give you two hymns that sum it up. Amazing grace and it is well with my soul. Those two hymns sum up this greeting. The story of amazing grace is the story of John Newton, the slave trader who became a Christian. And ask God to forgive him all his wretchedness, all what he'd done as a slave trader. And he wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace, that saved a wretch like me. And uh, every one of us who's truly saved can say in our hearts, that's me. Amazing Grace, that saved a wretch like me. But what a blessing to be able to say with, with uh, Mr. Spafford as well, who lost all his children in, in accidents. His son in the fire in Chicago and four daughters on a ship that sank. And he wrote to him, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Oh, he hurt. The man hurt. But he said, it's well with my soul. I'm right with God. And I have the peace of God in me. And that's the greeting that Paul has here. And what a reality it is to enjoy as a Christian. Let me ask you, are those realities you have? Grace and peace? Do you know those two things in your life? If not, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace will be to you through the Father and through the Lord Jesus. Second thing I want you to see here is our redemption. Because Paul goes into verse 4 on the back of this. And uh, as one commentator says, Paul immediately goes on to the great historical event in which God's grace was exhibited and from which his peace is derived. Namely, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what he talks about in verse 4 when he says about Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. And here we're talking about the redemption, our redemption, because uh, we are saved through the death of Jesus and his resurrection on, uh, uh, afterwards, but his death for us on the cross. Did you ever stop and ask yourself, you know, what is the cross all about? 
You know, a lot of people look at the cross and it's, uh, it's just a piece of jewellery. Or it's something that you put on the, on the, on the front of a church, to, like a sign, like a logo. Like you have the golden arches for McDonald's. Churches have crosses, it's how you know what they are. Oh, but friend, there's so much more to the cross of Jesus Christ than this. And Paul brings it out just in these four or five words here. Who gave himself for our sins. What is it talking about? It's talking about the fact that Christ's death was selfless. He gave himself for our sins. He, 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 he gave himself. It was a selfless gift that he gave when Jesus came into the world. And uh, we need to remember that the Lord Jesus gave himself. This is a doctrine that's found all the way through the New Testament. Uh, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, Ephesians 5.25. Titus 2.14 tells us that Christ uh, gave himself that he might purify himself a church from the world. And uh, 1 Timothy 2.6, he gave himself a ransom for many. And we could go on. John 6.51, Jesus said, I give my flesh for the life of the world. He gave himself for us. And we need to remember this. This was the voluntary sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Now, whilst in one, I want to be very careful what I say here so I'm not misunderstood. The Jewish people crucified Jesus. And they are guilty of the cross. And you say, I don't believe that. Well, God does. Zechariah 12 verse 10, when the Jewish people see Jesus on that day, he said, they will look on me whom they have, what? Pierced. They, who's they who's going to look? The Jewish people will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn because of me and they will repent. The Bible makes it clear that Jewish people were responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And you can read that all the way through the book of Acts. You crucified uh, and handed him over to wicked men uh, to die. And Peter actually called them murderers. And uh, in the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, we're told that they, uh, they crucified the Lord just like they uh, persecuted those who brought the message of the gospel. So there's that side of it, which is our human responsibility. But let's be absolutely clear. Nobody could have killed Jesus, Roman or Jew, unless the Lord Jesus Christ had laid down his life. See, they didn't take his life from him. He gave it. He gave it. And this is what he says here. Who gave himself for our sins. It was a selfless thing. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down myself. But it was a substitutionary thing. He gave himself for our sins. He did it in our place. It doesn't say Christ died for sins. It said Christ died for our sins. He was our substitute. Do you know how Christianity came to this country? It came in the days of the Romans. And uh, this man was St. Alban. And he was the first convert in this country. A a missionary came to this country and Roman, uh, Alban, who had been uh, brought up as his parents had come to this country as Romans uh, when they conquered Britain. He had grown up in this country and he was a Roman soldier and he heard a Christian missionary who came here and he became a Christian and put his trust in the Lord. And when they came to arrest 
the missionary, because it was against the, the, the law, you were supposed to worship Caesar, he himself disguised himself as the missionary. And when they brought him into the court of his Roman legion, they pulled off the cloak, and lo and behold, it was Alban. And he said, what's happened? Did the man mug you and get away? He said, no, I've become a Christian. And his, legion, his, uh, his uh, legionary commander was so cross that they uh, uh, put him through the punishment that the missionary would have gone through as well. But he gave himself so the missionary could escape. That was a substitution. That's what Christ did for us. He gave himself for our sins. But I want you to see his death was a sacrificial death as well because he died for our sins. And that's the emphasis there. Uh, the word sins, harmatia in, in Greek, is the missing of the mark, falling short of God's glory. And in the Greek, there's a little phrase uh, that you wouldn't see in the English. It's the little word peri. And that little word peri is used in the Old Testament when it's translated into Greek uh, for the sin offering. And it goes with the sin offering. And it's saying that Christ's death on the cross was a sacrifice for sins, a substitutionary sacrifice to take away our sins. And this is exactly what we need. We need a redeemer. You see, the middle letter of the word sin is I. And I am a sinner. I've done things wrong. And I'm guilty before God. I have an account, like the old hymn said, uh, that I owed a debt I could not pay. And he paid a debt. He didn't know. And he paid my debt when he died on the cross. I love that story about uh, the, the uh, Russian soldier, I think it was, who was uh, in debt and he was uh, drunk one night and he had, uh, had been mourning over his debts from gambling and he was uh, slumped over a table. And None other than the Tsar Nicholas. Tsar Nicholas was going around the army camp inspecting. And it was, you know, a crime to be drunk in the camp and so on. And he came to this poor fellow and he saw this piece of paper with all these debts written out. And he, it said on the bottom of the paper, the man had written, who will pay for all of these? And Tsar Nicholas took pity on him. He didn't deserve it. He was breaking the rules. He'd done it wrong. It was all his own fault. Tsar Nicholas put underneath the bottom there, I, Nicholas, I will pay for it. And that's what God did for you and me. He saw us with our sins. It's all our own fault. We can't blame anybody else for the things we've done wrong. It's our fault. We're guilty. But God says, I will pay for your sins. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do when he died on the cross for us. This is the gospel. This is salvation. You know, it's grace to, um, to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. What a message of salvation we have to, have to share. And uh, if you've never fully understood the message of the cross before, understand this, that the Lord Jesus Christ came to die for your sins so you can be saved. And then thirdly, we see here our rescue in the next part of the verse, in verse 4. Paul says that he might deliver us from this present evil age. One of the things I do when uh, I, I'm preparing is I not only...
try to study it in the original language of the Greek. I'm not very good at Hebrew, but I know enough to, to use books. And I'm not very good at Greek either, I've got to be honest. But I use books to help me. And I study it in the Greek and the Hebrew. And then I also study the paraphrases and see how all the different things, whether it's the classical works of, of Tyndale and Wycliffe and so on. And one of the things that's interesting is when you come to this phrase here, uh, some of the versions, they put a so in there. So, and they say so, about Jesus' death on the cross, so that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Because they understand Jesus' death was to save us from going to hell, but he was also saving us from this world and this evil age. The word age there is the word eon, which is obviously a unit of time. Um, the King James Version has the word world because in a sense that is what we're talking about, but it's the world in this age. You know, with the world as history is divided up into different dispensations. And uh, we're in one age now, but we're waiting for the day when Jesus comes and reigns. And it'll be a new day. And uh, he'll make a new world. And it'll be a different place and a different time altogether. And we can't wait. But now at the moment, we're living in an evil age. And uh, it, Paul says this present evil age. Uh, and you know, Spurgeon said when he read that, you know, we don't have to change anything 2,000 years later, do we? Because it's still a present evil age, our world today. You say, well, what's wrong with our world today? Well, I could give you a list. <laughs> First of all, the devil. Let's talk about that. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He is called in the Bible the god of this age in 2 Corinthians 4. And in effect, he, that's what he is. The world doesn't acknowledge the Lord. It gives more credit to the devil. And it follows him. And he is the God of this age. And his influence is very powerful. I wonder if you've ever taken that to heart. Uh, the devil is influential in our world. You know, there's a, a man in America who's a mischief maker. His name is Michael Michel. I think that's how you pronounce his surname. And he lives in San Francisco. And uh, he's the organizer of a group called the Cacophony Society, which is a group of pranksters. They, they make big uh, national-sized pranks every year. Well, one, one day, he decided to, for fun to print some flyers and have them distributed through the whole neighborhood uh, he lived in in San Francisco. And it, the flyer said this, Lost Python, 15 feet long. Do not attempt to catch it alone. Reward $300. <laughs> that wasn't a lost one at all, but he just wanted to wind everybody up. He loved the thought of everybody being on edge because there was a huge lost snake in the area. Now, that may be a funny joke, but what about in reality? That old serpent, the devil, he is in our area. That's not a joke. And his influence is felt everywhere. And the Christian is at war with the devil. Billy Sunday, the preacher, said, I'm in favor of everything the devil is against, and I'm against everything that the devil is in favor of. He said, if you would know which side the devil is on, put me down on the other side every other time. And that's exactly where we stand too. The devil is running this show, and uh, that's why we're seeing so much wickedness in the world. So the devil's a part of the problem. Another thing is deception is the problem. The world follows its own false lies. Lies that tell it what it wants to hear. 
evolution. There is no creator. That the world came into being on its own existence. Come on, nobody really believes that. We all know things don't come into existence on their own, out of nothing. You know, if I could get my bank manager to believe that, then I wouldn't have any letters coming from the bank, you know, telling me I need to put more money in. I'd say, just leave it long enough, money will appear on its own. He knows that's not going to happen. And the world doesn't appear on its own. God created the world. Evolution and, and spontaneous creation uh, are, are lies of the devil. And there's so, other, so many other lies as well. Lies about salvation. All your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds and then you'll be allowed into heaven. Rubbish. <laughs> your bad deeds don't... If you, you try that in a court of law, next time you do get caught by the officer for breaking the speed limit, say, well, you know, I kept it before. He's not going to say, well, that's all right, then it'll rub this one out. He's going to say, sorry, but you broke the speed limit. You've still got to pay. Whatever you did before doesn't count. It's not going to work with God either. These are the lies, the deceptions, the cults, the isms. This is a terrible world for those things. And then we think of the destruction that's going on, the war and the hatred, uh, the anti-Semitism, the murders. It's terrible what is happening in our world, the evil. Uh, even like we see the youth turning against each other, the young people, even down in our own town, two young people, one killed another in the, in the evening, uh, some weeks back down here. It's a terrible, terrible place. And, you know, then we could talk about the defilement, couldn't we? The defilement of the minds of our children in the schools. You know, how their minds are going to be, are being taught things to make them think wrongly. You know, the Bible says if you do that to a child, better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast in the sea. Uh, But that's what they're doing. They're teaching children. You can be any gender you like. It doesn't matter. You can pretend you're a boy if you're a girl. And things like that. And then we think of just the sheer depravity, the wickedness, the wickedness of of what's happening. Have you seen the drag queens that are going in the schools to read the stories to the children and things? And that's saying nothing about gay pride and all the rest of it. You know, friends, this is an evil age. This is an evil age. And Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. It's like in the book of Pilgrim's Progress. How does it begin? With Christian reading that book and he realizes he lives in the city of destruction. This place he lives is going to be destroyed and he's got to be saved. He's got to get to the heavenly city via the cross. And dear friend, that's our message today too. Salvation is about our rescue from this wicked world. If you want a biblical picture, it's like when the children of Israel were rescued out of Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a picture of the world. And uh, how were they saved? They were saved by the blood of the Lamb, that Passover night. And they came out of Egypt and they were rescued from that evil nation that uh, was holding them bondage and the judgments that came on it. Well, that's what God wants to do for us. And uh, if you're sick of this world as we are, then come to Jesus. Ask him to save you from your sins. And one day, when he comes again, he will take you to be with him. We're going to have a heavenly homecoming, because this isn't our home. We're going to our home when he comes. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.
And then finally we see our reason for salvation at the end of verse 4 and 5. There's two reasons here. The first is the will of God and second the glory of God. He says according to the will of our God and Father at the end of verse 4. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 5. Now this is the reasons for salvation. And uh, these are things to take to heart as well. Because the gospel is not just all about man. You know, if you ch- see children in school today, it's all about the child and pampering the child. And you've got to let everybody win and everything. You know, that's not real life. That's creating children to have a self-complex. But in the gospel, God's wiser than that. And he says, I'm doing this, but I'm not doing it just for you. It's for me too. And salvation is for the will of God and for his glory. That's very important. Let's take these two things on board. What does it mean according to the will of our God and Father? Well, we've talked about this a lot recently, but if you look in the Bible, there's clues and there's even statements in the Old Testament of a covenant between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to bring about salvation. Before God brought salvation to man on earth, there was a plan made between the Godhead in eternity past, which would plan out the way mankind would be saved through Jesus' death. And the Father wanted to save the people. The Son said he would pay for their sins on the cross. And the Holy Spirit said, I'll come and apply it. And I'll bring them to new life and raise them to life uh, through regeneration. That's the plan. That's the will of our God and Father. And it's a wonderful thing to realize our salvation wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't an accident. It was according to the will of our God. That gives me great comfort and, and reason Uh, rejoicing but the other reason is to whom be glory forever and ever and this is as if to say salvation is for God's glory that God may be praised and worshipped did you ever notice in the book of Revelation what they praise God for they don't praise God like we do on earth I've got to be honest with you I've been praising God for the lovely cooking I've had from Heather this week I've had bacon, I have had, I shouldn't tell this in case my doctor's listening, I've had, I've had, uh, we had beautiful chicken uh, meal yesterday, we had a beautiful turkey meal today, I have been enjoying my wife's cooking, all right, and it's good, and I, I say thank you to the Lord for us, I say, Lord, that was just lovely, thank you. But you know, when you see them in heaven, in the book of Revelation, they're not praising God, it's a beautiful day, they're not praising God, they're saying, salvation to God. They're praising God for the redemption of mankind and the fact that God bought mankind with his own blood. It's salvation is what their focus is. And they worship the Lord in heaven for salvation. To whom be glory forever and ever. There's something to realize. God's glory was his motivation for saving sinners. That he might bring glory to his great name. And it will be an eternal glory that he gets from saving sinners because it's forever and ever. I like the way John Wycliffe translated this. He said, to whom is worship and glory in to worlds of worlds. Amen. And that's how long we'll be praising the Lord for worlds and worlds to come (laughs) for what he has done for us. So what a wonderful little scope of salvation Paul gives us here at the beginning 
of this little letter. And we see our, our realities of grace and peace. We see our redemption through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. We see the reason that he might save us out of this world. Sorry, our rescue, that he might save us out of this world. And the reason that it's according to God's will and for God's glory. May we give him praise too. And as we come to the end of this little sermon now, may we say with that last word, Amen.